0: Welcome to Fans of the Forge. I'm Chris. To my right, we have... Teresa. And calling in via Skype, we have knife or death contestant, Pat Biggins. How you doing,
1: man? Hey, guys. Having fun. Uh, Just enjoying the nice, cool Wisconsin weather. Finally warmed up a little bit to above 30 for the first time this week. (laughs) We're having a little bit of a heat wave now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we are getting our first snow of the year. Hence, why our co-host Sean is not here. We found out about five minutes ago that
2: uh, they closed down the highway between his house and ours, so he's safely driving back home. And Oof. yes, yeah,
1: that's that's the joy of winter now. Yeah, yeah. but
2: anywho,
0: um, we chatted via Facebook, I believe. Uh, you contacted me, and um, yeah, yeah you showed interest in doing an interview and we love to interview all the guys that are knife or death and fortune fire, you know, as many as we can at least. And, um, you had a good point. Um, not, there's not a whole lot of content or information about the people that were on season one. Um, yeah, there might be a few that were maybe on fortune fire and things like that. And some I'm sure have their Instagram followings and Facebook groups, whatever. But, um, we agreed that there really isn't a whole lot of content, so we thought it'd be great to have you on to kind of catch up with you since your appearance and talk about um, what you that was, have been doing in the meantime.
1: Oh, a little bit of everything. I mean, we filmed back in February, and that was one of their last-minute calls, so we had production going back and forth with me. They were like, oh, he called me on Sunday night. Hey, sorry to make the call. We're not going to have you on this season. You know, good, better, better luck next time. Sorry to call you. And, and three hours later, he calls me up again. Hey, um, hate to do this to you, but do you still want to be on? Because there might be a chance you could be on still. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. Let's do it. Okay, well, I'll get back to you in a few hours. Let me, let, me, let me make some calls. He comes back again. Okay, yeah, you're going to be on. I'm like, oh, okay, what do I got to do? <laughs> well, uh Can you be on a plane tomorrow? I was like, oh okay. Let me let me get back to you. I gotta talk to my boss and see if I'm still okay to go and I'll tomorrow give you a call, you know, as soon as I find out. Got told I could go and then called him back and told him I'm good to go. He says, Do you have a custom knife? Which normally for me isn't a problem. I'm a custom bladesmith as well, but mm-hmm. during the winter months, I don't forge as much because you know Wisconsin in the winter can range from 30 degrees till negative 40, 50 with the wind chill, and it's just sometimes not productive to try to forge when your anvil's a giant heat sink. So <laughs> I generally do a ton of forging in the winter time. <clears throat> so the only blade that I had that I didn't sell. Was what I had used as my yard knife around the house for when I was clearing brush and cutting roots and prying things out of the ground to put into plants, and I brought this one, not knowing any of the recommendations. Um, only thing I was told was get in a plane and bring a knife. <laughs> <laughs> so, kind of short notice, so I found out a lot of stuff as I was going through the process. But I went out at nine o'clock at night after I told him I could go and arranged, you know, airports and travel and where to meet people and all the associated shenanigans that go along with short notice flights and went out to the garage and reprofiled this down a lot thinner because originally it was about a, maybe a quarter inch thicker on the edge.
3: Oh wow.
1: It was meant to basically just be a beater pry bar. It wasn't supposed to be sharp. <laughs> I had to grind it back down and I don't know if you can tell too much, but the tip is relatively heavy.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's about a three eighths tip at the, at the very front which later on helped me break the boxes and chip the ice about a lot because I've got all that extra weight when I make a swing. But they told us on set, oh, you have minimum blade requirements. I was like, I I never got that memo. (laughs) Well, what was the minimum blade requirements? And they're like, oh, no, you're fine. Oh, okay, cool. (laughs) I was just told custom knife. so. Did the course, uh, had a lot of fun, met a lot of guys that <clears throat> I watched on Forge and Fire and had talked to online. It was just kind of nice to put a name to the face, like sure. uh, Dave McConnell and Joe Smith. Uh, Joe won my episode.
0: Yeah, and- Joe is a friend of ours as well. Uh, we met him down. So you look at me, I didn't meet Well, <laughs> Teresa did, not but Sean and I went down to Pigeon Forge Grudge Match down in Tennessee yeah. this year, and we met Joe there and got to do an interview with them and watch him uh, mm. go through the Blade Sports <clears throat> competition there. So, um, that was a pleasure. Um, he's a good guy. And, um, yeah, while we're on it, why don't we do a quick little recap of your episode here? So we mi- we made some notes on, um, okay. your appearance. So in knife fight, um, this was, it was interesting for me to go back and rewatch the first season because the course has changed, oh, yeah. um, quite a bit. And so I was like, "Oh, I forgot they did that," or "Oh, that's right. That's how they did certain <laughs> things." So, you had yep. to go through Trailblazer, which was cut through the six wooden dolls and release the yeah. torch. That stick. was a, that was an easy one. Yeah, you did. You did I'm, good. I, was, I believe I, I'm, 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 I let's see. I have you cut through six wooden dolls nonchalantly. You just kind of went <laughs> through. <and> t-
1: <laughs> well, my 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 blade's relatively heavy. <laughs>
0: yeah, and then uh, next up, you had stick and move, and so you had to cut through the containers and get the weights to hit the ground.
2: Oh, I remember that one.
0: And so that one, you know, that one was always the counterweight. Yeah, the counterweights and had, you to had to like, fall get
2: it before it was too high. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah, you weren't allowed to you weren't allowed to jump to reach the target. Once it went out of reach, you couldn't swing at it anymore. Right. So
0: that one they've kind of repurposed and taken like the the big crate and moved that to the the end of knife fight. And, uh, you don't really see any of the plastic buckets anymore that they had in, mm-hmm. in that particular one. Oh, um, buckets. but those buckets, those kind of gave you a little bit of trouble, right? You, you had, the box seemed to be going pretty well for you. And then you got slowed down a bit by the buckets, but you did manage to get them all so that the weights fell okay. to the ground.
1: Well, the, the problem with the buckets wasn't so much, um, lack of sharpness. It was just they're bigger in diameter than my knife could cut through because I have a shorter knife. Mm. And the second bucket, uh, they're, they're all covered on the top and we do the course, so we don't know what's in them. And uh, the second bucket was actually double-walled, so it was two buckets inside of each other. And then it was filled with pea gravel, which we also didn't know until I took a swing and saw a spark come off the blade. And I was like, why the heck is the bucket sparking? Did I hit the handle? And I was like, "Oh, I hit the bucket. Oh, there's rocks. Great. Love rocks. I always cut rocks with my knives. <laughs> Yeah, the rocks did pretty much 90% of the damage on my blade. And I mean, I they told us you know, that we were going to be doing semi-destructive things, but nothing that was going to be outright purposely destructive. So when we swung at the obstacles of the box and the buckets, we didn't know what was in them until we cut them. And when I saw the rocks, I was like, oh, great. That's the one thing I didn't test it on, because I figured they wouldn't put a bucket of rocks anywhere. <laughs> so... After each after each obstacle, I went and you know I was I flipped over and kind of went like that and checked the edge and I was like okay I'm good or okay there's a little damage there from whatever that was. Yeah, that way I could kind of track how much edge life I had left.
0: Right, and then from there you moved on to ice pick, and uh, it took a little bit. uh, You you know you had to adjust your position and your angles to get some good shots in there, but you managed to get through the ice. was ice there block. a lot any dullage, dulling going on after you hit the ice?
1: Not the ice, no. The, ice, the the dullness came from the rocks. There wasn't much done to the ice. It was the uh, rocks hit about here on the blade, and then I hawked back to about here for the ice block, and they kind of moved back and forward. And I was trying to keep this back edge, which is still reasonably sharp for if I had to do anything that came down flat. But the... The way that they shot the show and the way that they've you know put them together to make it the best run they can for everybody on the on the show, they edit out certain things. So when you know when they pan them on, on me, they go back to Goldberg and then they say, oh, he's getting tired, he's adjusting his grip. Yeah, you kind of go like that and do do one of those and then put it back. That was shortly after I had looked up at the cameraman and I didn't pay attention. I had punched that block of ice. With the bottom three fingers in my hand at full extension, and it clipped me across here, and I had stunned the bottom of my hand. So when I'm readjusting, I was trying to get feeling back in my hand. <laughs> so it was you know my own doing. I looked up to see where the guy was, as I just was trying to make sure I wasn't going to you know chop stuff into him, and looked up, and then all of a sudden, ow! <clears throat> That's going to be fun. Okay, get feeling back in my hand. <laughs> But, I mean, the gloves actually helped because I may have broken a finger if I hadn't had those gloves on.
2: Right. Oh, right. But. And then you got stopped at the chicken. <laughs> Mostly, <laughs> like,
1: the bottom three fingers.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but the nice thing was, I mean, I, I, did, I did cut about half to three-quarter of the way through it. Uh, a lot of it was I, I couldn't feel my hands, so when I'm holding my knife, I have these just cupped cosmetically and I'm really holding it like this. Oh. So when I went to cut the I could feel the yeah. blade bend away and I couldn't counter it enough to stop it. And I just didn't step through and follow through as much as I should have. So combination of having stunned my hand and then just kind of being like, Okay, I've got to try it, and I just slapped at it and I didn't think about kind of stepping in and through.
3: Oh,
0: I see.
1: When you're on set, I mean, your your jazz would do this. Your jazz would do the show. You want to, you know, play the course as fast as you can, hit it as hard as you can, and just get through it so you can try to beat everybody else. And you know, you you make mistakes when you're up on adrenaline, and you're just thinking that it's going to be easy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so when you're waiting for your turn after you guys come out and do the whole intro with with Goldberg and uh, two. Um, do they put you, are you guys all like hanging out in a green room area together, like waiting for your turn to go or,
1: um, we had a luxurious 10 foot by 10 foot pop-up canopy tent, <laughs> uh, you know, nice, uh, top of the line folding steel chairs and a little propane heater to keep us warm, <laughs> which for me and Dave were from the Midwest. So we went down to Atlanta in, uh, you know, February and it was, you know, 70 when we landed. I had left that morning. It was negative 12, and I was shoveling nine inches the snow. So <laughs> like I got to Atlanta. I'm, I'm, I'm boiling. So whenever they turned the heat on in the tent, uh, Dave and I would basically just get up and go outside and sit on the concrete because we didn't want the 95 to 100 degree weather in the tent when we could sit outside in the 65 to 70 and kind of enjoy the nice day. Because for us, it was it was comparably a nice day for us because we don't usually see those temperatures until the end of April early May sometimes.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: so we're just like, yay, it's 50, 60 degrees warmer than that cold. I'm going to go sit outside and enjoy this. <laughs> Meanwhile, everyone from production is wearing coats because they're from Southern California. And then the local guys that are from Atlanta and other Southern states are wearing coats and, you know, being cold. And they're all looking at us like we're crazy because we're wearing T-shirts and a kilt. <laughs> <laughs> but. But. So that was
0: your appearance, you know, for having it be like a last minute thing like that and not even knowing, you know, ahead of time, what sort of custom blade you needed to bring. Uh, I think you did pretty well. And, um, yeah, I mean, would you, I'm, I'm sure if they invited you back, you'd probably want to go and try out the well, new course for season two. Go
1: back again. The, that was the biggest thing is I, I told him right after I ran my set, I you know I told Travis and some of the production guys, Hey. If you ever do a redemption, let me back on. I'd love to actually have a go where I can make the blade that I wanted to bring the first time around, yeah. And actually build something for it versus just bring what I have, which worked for me, but it just didn't do as well as it could have if I had known, you know, a month in advance, like some of the guys knew. Right. For what it was worth, I mean, I treated it as a way to test my heat treatment and just sort of see what I could do, and had a lot of fun with it. I pretty much planned just to go through and just try to break stuff and see if my knife would snap. (laughs) <laughs> and figured, well, if they can break it, that'll be kind of cool. I'll know what it takes to break a knife. And it just, uh, I don't know if I can get a zoom in here, but there's not much wrong with it. It's a little flat. Oh, yeah. It's otherwise, I could put that on a belt grinder and get it sharp in a couple passes on a 120 to an 800 grit belt, and it'd be back to shaving sharp. Oh, nice. So
2: so for being on season one, how did you know about this show to go apply to be on it if it didn't exist yet. I've always wanted to know how people get on season one of things.
1: <laughs> Facebook. Um, ah. I I got a, I, I got a email from a friend of mine who was on Forge and Fire and they had you know reached out to him. He more or less said, sorry, not my thing. I don't really want to do that. And they said, well, could you forward it on to people that might? So he pushes it up on Facebook to me and says, hey, you might like this. Give him a call. I'm like, man, eh, all right. And I called him up uh, I think it was September 17th maybe of last year. and we did the you know the whole process, the interview call, the questions, answer sessions, show him some video, show him some nice stuff, uh, talk about what I do. And then it was pretty much just radio silence. Uh, I was told last contact, we we're going to be filming around November for Thanksgiving. And I just requested, you know, let me know. I'm a high school shop teacher. I need to know a little bit in advance so I can arrange things at my school. And then it was just dead. I heard nothing. I figured by the time December hit that they just decided not to go with me. I mean, I've tried out for Forge and Fire since season two and I've never gotten on. I'd love to get on, but it's one of those things where they eventually talk to you and then they just go with somebody else and it's just how the show runs. But... Uh, just sat there and waited. I kind of forgot about the show entirely until the call on, like, February 4th or 5th night when he called me up and said, Hey, we've got a date for this show. Do you want to be on? Oh, okay. <laughs> he forgot about me or I'd already filmed and we're done. So, cool. Yeah, I'll be on. But when they originally started talking to me, it was pitched as a mix between Forge and Fire and American Ninja Warrior. So I was thinking... Uh, my own imagination got me a little bit more jazzed up than what they really allowed us to do, probably for <laughs> reasons. But I was thinking, you know, you're going to be climbing towers and like swinging off of ropes with zip lines and chopping things as you go flying through the air. And I was like, heck yeah, this going to be great. <laughs> and I got there, like, oh, it's all ground based. I was hoping for like more like physical stuff.
2: And you get penalties. So, I mean, for running. my
1: own imagination from the earlier concept kind of messed with my real perception of what happened when I got there. <laughs> It was a little bit of a letdown, but at the same time, still really fun. Because I was like, "Oh, that's a cool twist! I'll do that."
0: Oh yeah. So, what do yeah. you think about the the changes that they've implemented with season two? Some of like the new obstacles, and you know, some of the the way that they're kind of running the knife fight section and, and the dead run section have changed quite a bit. So, what are your thoughts on that?
1: <laughs> well, when I first saw some of the obstacles, I was thinking, "Wow, they made those harder now." <laughs> The first thing I saw, I forget I forget the order of the obstacles that they did in every episode is they kind of switch them around. Yeah. But the first time I saw them cutting that two by four that was up at the angle they had to drop it into the block. Yeah. I
2: remember. I remember
1: that. God that's gonna be hard to think about when you're really jacked up on adrenaline. <laughs> and then multiple ice blocks you have to do different orders. The sugar cane you have to cut through and then cut back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean having been on season one, I know they don't tell you how to cut those obstacles. They tell you, this is how you're to proceed through the course, and here's the order, and here's our rules for that particular course. You get a penalty on doing this and this and this. But they don't tell you, this is the best way to cut it. They leave that to you. Mm -hmm. So the uh, demos that you see Travis or any of the other course testers doing, uh, contestants aren't seeing that. They're just brought in there. They're put in a little space, and then they get pulled out one at a time to go do their run, and they're attacking it the best way they can figure out. And... When I first saw the styrofoam balls, I was like, God, that's mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's just right. They aren't going to cut. They're just going to stick to your knife.
0: <laughs> and there's, there's been a few instances of on. that where guys have, have swung into it, and the next thing you know, they have a ball stuck to their knife, and they're trying to swing at the next one.
1: Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> and the the moving, moving, like the zip line with the flying crates and packages of stuff, oh, that's yeah. got to be hard. I mean, it's coming up at a random speed from a distance away and it's up in the air coming down to you. You've got to counter its motion in a couple places and plan how you're going to hit it, and you only have one shot to really hit it. Yeah. Yep. And it's just, I really wanted to get in the second round. It looked like a lot more fun in the first round.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So why don't we move on from knife for Death now? Uh, We do have some questions that we uh, put together for you.
2: Okay. Um, How long have you been a bladesmith? Oh, it's 2018
1: now, Uh, 2004, 2005 I started, so 14-ish years in that general range, depending on the actual month, I forget, but started in high school, I mean, I'm 30 now, Uh, but I started when I was like 15 or 16, and it's kind of coming up on being half my adult life now, which is kind of a novelty in its own right, but... (laughs) mostly part-time. I mean, I did it on nights and weekends. I grew up in a small town where wasn't a lot to do. So developed my own hobbies and it just kind of became knife making and blacksmithing.
0: Oh, that's cool. So you kind of just answered that one. All right. so So I did do um, my little Instagram detective work uh, prior to this, and I and I go through and I check out nice. some of the stuff that you post up there, just to kind of get some ideas for questions. Hmm. And um, I saw on your Instagram a hand forged garden hoe that you had made, <laughs> and you didn't seem happy about making it, but it was a request from your wife.
1: Yep. Well, that was that was more so. I did that one to myself because I I figured she comes up to me and she says hey we really we really need a garden hoe. And I was like, "Oh, what kind?" And she says, "Well, the, you know, that square flat edge kind." I'm like, "Oh, okay." And <clears throat> I just yeah, you know, I have a habit of she tells me stuff and I just either ignore it or I forget about it until <laughs> like months later and then she yells at me. So, I figured that I was like I'm just going to forge one because, man, that sounds fun. And I had a chunk of leaf spring about like that and, you know, using leaf spring for blades is kind of hit or miss. But I thought it'd be kind of fun to try it because, yeah, why not? Uh, sent that and forged that all out and necked it down and extended it and did all the socketing and plated it a bit. And I've probably made the only ballistics-grade garden hoe that exists in Wisconsin. <laughs> Man, plus, someone else has done something. But uh, she wanted a garden hoe made and I forged one out. And when I gave it to her, she's like, I meant just go buy one at the hardware store, you dip. I didn't mean go out and forge one for two weeks. buy <laughs> that. <laughs> But it was a lot more work than I really anticipated because I, I've never made a garden hoe. I, I mostly make knives, and right. that's something I usually do. But it was kind of one of those weird oddball topics I just fiddled with one time. <laughs> never again. Never again.
2: Um, how do you get customers for your blades?
1: I beg and plead. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I do a little bit of Facebook and Instagram marketing. I mean, I am a high school shop teacher, so I don't pursue this actively full time. Sure. But uh, I go to a couple of local shows. I've done uh, Cambridge Arts Council Fire Fest here near Madison in the summer. So it's like a weekend in July. It's an outdoor uh, open air uh, art festival for everything made in fire. So yeah. casting, blown glass, pottery, uh, you know, active uh, iron pours and foundry demonstrations going on. And, you know, just a lot of fun stuff happening there. And I do a local knife show, the Great Lakes Knife Show down here in Beloit in September. And I've gone as far as um, Missouri for a show in Washington. And then I did the Spirit of the Blade in Troy, Ohio a couple of years back. And I might go back to that one this year if finances and timing work out for me the way I'm hoping they do. The six-hour drive is a little hard because mm. all these shows are never in Wisconsin.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but some Instagram marketing, some Facebook stuff, referrals from friends, uh, former clients. Um, I got a little bit of business out of being in Blade Magazine twice last year. So I've gotten an international order to Australia that's being completed. And he's been a very patient customer. It's He ordered it in March, and we were expecting our firstborn shortly in that time window when he ordered it. So I told him my time's gonna be a little erratic, and I'm just finishing it up this month. <laughs> so so been for a while.
0: So when you're making something like that, are you are you taking custom requests? Like guys come to you with a specific style of knife that they want, and you say, "Yeah, sure, I can do that," or do you say, "I can, I prefer to do these types of knives." You know, you can pick this style, and I can make something and customize it to your liking.
1: A little bit of both. It kind of depends on time of year and how much time I've got available. During summertime, I do a little bit more of the, you know, do whatever you want and I'll just make it. Uh, There's a couple of things I just kind of don't make, just either from I just don't find them interesting right now or I just don't have the tooling like those uh, Chris swords. Mm -hmm. I don't have the ability to grind and heat treat swords right now. So the biggest I do is about a 21 inch overall. And that's about as big as I really want to get with uh, extra tooling. But I've done oddball requests. One guy, you know, sends me sketches all the time and says, would you make this? And I tell him, sure. Why not? And He says, <laughs> okay, thanks. And then he disappears for a few months and comes back another crazy request. But I've got some stock models now that I'm doing they uh, my hunting and skinning knife. And it's the one at the, on Instagram, it's the one with the engraved handle, like the tribal engraving. Oh yeah. He, uh, kind of like that. Um, cream and brown background. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And I've got about 30 of those uh, already basically ground out and ready to basically grind and profile heat treat them. But those are the only ones I'm taking orders on at this moment, because this June I'm going to be going down to Blade Show to try for my Journeyman Smith stamp. So I'm trying to put a lot of my energy into forging the blades for the panel knives, since they take a lot of time and the single tiny scratch can cancel your attempt to get the stamp so i want to make sure that i have as much time as possible to get those done but otherwise normally i take custom orders for whatever as long as it's something that interests me and something i think i can do
2: what equipment do you use the most my forge (laughs) what kind of forge do you use
1: um, I've got a double burner chili forge. Uh, I've had it since around two thousand nine. I've, re- I've reconditioned it a couple times over the years because it's been used and abused for almost ten years now. And I was a little bit harder on it when I was younger than I probably should have been, and you know now knowing a little bit more about what I'm doing, I probably shouldn't have done some of those things to it. But um, after the forge, I mean anvil and hammers, and then usually last is my grinder you have to eventually make all the forging process stop and you eventually have to grind and polish things but mostly the forge is my standard tool i do 90 percent of my work on the forge and then i can spend a little bit less time grinding i kind of don't like to grind i'd rather forge it as close to shape as i can then remove the scale and clean it up
0: and are you doing it all by hand when you when you're forging it out
1: Yep. Uh, The only thing I don't do completely by hand is my uh, pattern welded on my Damascus blades because I'm doing the stack ups. I have a uh, hydraulic log splitter that I use to help me squish those bars out quicker Mm -hmm. because I just don't want to forge Damascus by hand. (laughs) Once I get it out into a manageable bar, like say three-eighths thick by inch and a half wide or whatever length I want, then I'll just treat it like bar stock and I'll go and hand forge it.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So everything is hand forged except for when I'm actually making the stacks for the Damascus
2: is there a material and style you prefer when making blades? Um,
1: mainly I like to use ADCRV2 right now. That was the steel that was on my show blade and it held up incredibly well for me. Uh, my Facebook page has me doing the uh, ABS uh, American Blades and Society Journeyman Smith test like pre-test uh, with ADCRV steel. I you know did the rope chop, the 2 by 4 cut, the arm shave and then I bent it 90 degrees. Um, the blade took Maybe a three to five degree set, and then I could bend it back out the other way and straighten it out. And it stayed sharp. It didn't dull, didn't crack, didn't have any real problems. And then when I went on Knife or Death and brought ADCRV, he treated pretty much the same way, but a little bit thicker. Um, it held up incredibly well, given that we were subjected to a battery of mystery objects. And we couldn't really tailor suit our knife to be anything, it was just bring a knife. If you were, if you asked, "What am I cutting, hard stuff or soft stuff?" the answer was yes. <laughs> I just wouldn't tell you. <laughs> so, season two, guys, I I, I like watching season two because you can see that which ones of them, you know, watched our first episodes and kind of took a little bit of a hint, like, "Oh, this is what stuff they do. They're going to do something more next time," and they planned for it. We didn't get a chance to plan. It was just come cut things. <laughs> <laughs> so we all kind of just guessed as to what we wanted, but. Uh, style wise, I tend to like either small hunting knives in the three to five inch blade length, or I like to do like the 10 and a half to 11 inch blades just because I kind of live in the country and it's nice to be able to prune trees without a saw and just take it and hack it off. A bigger blade is nice for that, Mm -hmm. but daily carry style stuff and just kind of medium sized choppers.
0: Do you have a favorite Damascus pattern?
1: Um, I'm becoming very fond of twists and uh, laddered twists because the amount of activity in the blade is just way more cool to me. Uh, I don't have a lot of the tooling or practice to do some of the more advanced techniques yet. But if I, f- I found out that when I twist them at a lower layer and then bring it up and I twist it at a higher layer, it makes a much more interesting pattern than if I just twist it one way at a medium-sized pattern and forge out a blade. Oh, Okay. And just if if you do it right, it kind of looks like uh, gossamer shimmering through the layers, and it's really quite attractive.
2: Um, so you're going for your journeyman smith certification. Can you explain some of the requirements for that?
1: Yep. Um, yeah, we have to forge a test blade of our choosing. Our style, uh, appearance, and finish are irrelevant for the performance blade. It's just to show your heat treat control. So you have to make a blade, uh, no more than ten inch blade, five inch handle. And then you have to do a free-hanging rope chop, one-inch diameter, I believe it is. I cut a three-inch one. But uh, the next step is you have to cut the two-by-four twice, shave your arm afterwards to prove that it's still sharp, and then you stick it in the vise a third of the way up the blade so it's going to be sitting like that in your vise. And you have to take it and bend it 90 degrees until the spine and handle are at the horizon line, and then you have to let it back up. And then the supervising master would inspect your blade for any cracks you're allowed to crack about a third of the length of the bar width of the blade before it's considered a fail if you crack more than that it would be considered a fail but ideally you want to come out with no cracks right because it just makes you feel better as a person <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, the next step is you have to do five panel knives and you have to have you know varying sizes styles blades whatever you personally want to make And you do the best you can, fit and finish job, hand sanding, everything's symmetric. And then you bring them down to either the Kansas City ICE show or Blade show in Atlanta. And you have to inform the EBS uh, that you're going to be doing your performance test or your visual test. And they'll set up a space for you with everyone else who's testing. And then they bring in a panel of masters and they visually inspect everything you do. And that's the nerve-wracking part. You've got guys who've been doing this for 35, 40 years in some cases, nitpicking off of something that you've been spending maybe 15 years learning how to do, and you know they've got twice your level of experience, and they've seen every possible way that you could hide a mistake, and they're looking for that to show, can you follow the standards and make as best a knife as we see as you know, fitting of that stamp. Right. So when we get to Blade Show, I'm going to be not sleeping that whole night, leading up to the panel thinking, okay, I Do I have a scratch? Did everything look right? Is everything symmetric? Is there anything out of place? Is there any cracks in the handle? Did the glue move? No. Is there anything wrong? And I'll be like freaking out, obsessing about it until I hear what they say, good or bad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Sean and I have been messing around, doing a little bit of forging, and um, to the point where I'm actually starting to get some equipment so I could start outfitting a shed to, to build a little home forge for myself. Um, do you have any good beginner's tips?
1: Uh, practice a lot on steel that you can get cheap. Like you just, I would just learn on mild steel. I mean, you can't really heat treat it, but you can mess around with it for fairly cheap. Mm -hmm. Uh, get it for a couple bucks at a hardware store or, you know, home depots or Ace hardwares. Um, you can forge out, any, pretty much any shape you want. I usually start kids when I teach forging at my high school, I start them out with just drawing, squaring, tapering, twists, making some S hooks and J hooks, uh, doing a couple basic manipulations with it, and just letting them familiarize themselves with how the hammer and steel work together. Mm-hmm. Because you're used to being able to you know hold something and then hit it, but now you're holding it with a pair of tongs and you're also trying to strike it while it's hot, while controlling how hard you hit. So, I mean, just working on hammer control, accuracy, and just general basics, mean i spent five years dinking around with just whatever suited my interest i worked on mild steel i did railroad spikes i you know did leaf springs and salvage materials and then once i felt comfortable knowing how i could forge and do things correctly then i started moving on to the you know proper steels and learning how to heat treat those steels okay
2: um have you ever completed in any professional chopping contests
1: other than just at local hammer-ins when I go down to those and we just goof around and do them just against each other for fun.
0: Cool. Well, that's all we got for questions.
2: Was um, there anything you hoped we would ask? <laughs> well, I
1: kind of, I kind of just figured you would come up with whatever was interesting. <laughs> I was kind of, I was kind of surprised when you guys agreed to talk to me because I was like, I'm, I'm the first episode of this show, and it was kind of the big hit or miss will it you know take off or will it just completely flop and those of us who were on it were hoping it would take off and we're we're all glad to see it did
3: mm-hmm.
1: so we were, we were kind of worried for the first season if it would even go well because you know the critics on facebook and online you know you got both sides saying hey it's cool and then the rest of them are like oh it's terrible it's garbage it, it's a joke and i'm like it was fun <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I can tell you, Teresa really enjoyed season one. Oh yeah. And Sean and I <laughs> we thought it was a little hokey at first. Like I'll admit it. Um by the end of the season, I was digging it. I was more into it. And then uh I'm like we are we are all pretty really into it now, you know, with season cool. two. Um especially some of the the ways they change the course. It it does bring a little bit of um just the the newness to it kind of helps with the the course changes and the way that they've been changing up the la- the layouts and sometimes one obstacle is first and then it's third and they kind of make it interesting each time I think and so we're fans and we like talking to you guys that's like what our channel's all about is talking to bladesmiths that have been on Forge and Fire, oh. <laughs> Knife for Death and who knows what else but uh
1: I'm still trying to get on Forge and Fire. I mean, hopefully they put me on at some point. I'd love to go play with that. Because then it's actually competing against something I do a lot more. I don't cut things a lot. I forge things a lot. But, yeah, when they did the new season, Knife for Death, and they put in the two sudden deaths with the chicken, fish, and pipe, and then the ratchet straps. Yeah. God, that's terrible. You, need <laughs> to get through, you still have to do the other one, and that's still another chance to get out. Man, that'd be nerve-wracking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I I keep encouraging people on Facebook that if they want to go try it, go try it. I mean, they're still early enough that they're taking a lot of interest. They're still looking for a variety of people. I mean, it's a good chance to get on the show. I mean, once it picks up, it's going to be more and more people wanting to get on. Now, Fire, I'm sure they've got by season six, they've got millions of people or thousands of people trying to get on to every single episode and they have to weed them down yeah Night for Death is still new enough where you have a chance at getting talked to because they don't have to wait through as many people.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's a good point. I'll have to keep that in mind. If
1: you I, guys should, should try to get on the show. I think you'd have a lot of fun. You would have so much fun.
0: I would love <laughs> it. I would absolutely love it. So maybe someday that'll be my goal here. Um, we'll see. But Right now my goal is to just get a forge up and running and in my shed so I can start hitting some metal. Yeah. That's fun. Anyway... That's
1: don't don't start with Fortune and Garden hoe. No. Yeah, I
0: won't <laughs> I won't do that. <laughs> well, thank you very much for for joining us. Uh where could people find you if they want to check out your stuff
1: online? Uh, my Facebook and Instagram are both howling wolf Knifeworks. Uh it's the one with the flaming tribal wolf head howling.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, there's another person that's howling wolf knives that's not me. I'm my profile pictures are always my maker stamp but if I can get it close enough to show there that Oh, yeah, you can
0: kind of see it. Well, Little we'll link arc. to it in the uh, <laughs> the description of the the video and the podcast when it goes up. So thanks again for joining us, and everybody, go follow him, check out his stuff, you know, get a custom knife from him, all that good stuff. And we wish you luck. Hopefully, you get on Forge and Fire. That'd be great to see you on there. And totally. uh, we are still kind of discussing the idea of possibly going to Blade Show this year. In in June. So if that happens, maybe we'll see you there.
1: Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, One advice for that, make sure you book your hotel like six months in advance. It's really busy down there. (laughs) You got until like December to decide.
0: (laughs) Yeah, good to know. We'll have to keep that in mind. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks a lot, man. And uh, we'll talk to you again sometime soon.
1: Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me on.
0: All right. Bye.